Good morning. Hope you're doing well. Came equipped for today, right here. Awesome game. Kind of lost my voice last night yelling at the television, but it was awesome. Um, so anyway, uh, we are in the book of Second Timothy. Second Timothy. So if you have a Bible, you can go ahead and open up there. And if you don't have a Bible, you can look underneath you. Grab one of those white or blue ones, and just keep it. Take it with you. It's yours. Uh, we're using that version that's underneath there, the English Standard Version. So you can take that home with you and keep it. If you already have one and you know somebody that needs an English Standard Version Bible, take that and, and give it to them. We've got boxes and boxes. We get good deals and we buy them so that you can take them and give them away. So consider this as your, your Bible giving away source, uh, Remedy Church. Take them and give them away. As I said, we're going to be in Second Timothy and... Um, I'm going to pray and we'll get started. I'll do a review introduction at the very beginning. Um, I heard this week uh, an old pastor named Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. He said, a sermon without a good review or introduction is not a sermon at all. That's my kind of talk. So I I will do one of those and then we'll get started. But let's pray first. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for today. Um, Lord, I I just ask for a special um, help this morning. Likely... um, For those that attend this church regularly, this is where they come. Uh, Everything that we say will be things that they agree with. And so because of that, God, we need a fresh um, movement of your spirit that uh, they won't just intellectually assent to the things that they hear, but also, God, they would have lives that reflect that they not only agree with it, but they want to live it out. They want to perhaps change patterns of life, change reading styles, change um, reading patterns in their life that when they hear a sermon on the doctrine of the word and the importance of it, God, that they would be so moved that they would not only say, yes, I agree with the word, that it's, that it's my very life because of Christ, but God, that they would want to shape and pattern their entire life after it. Because your word is so powerful this morning um, and every morning, I, God, I pray that you would kind of move me out of the way and that you would come now and speak through me and that your word would be on the forefront. The Spirit would come and push the word down deep into our hearts and souls and change us. I know that it's not any, um, anything that I say that will change lives, but only because your Spirit is here by the power of your word. So would you come now, God? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in the book of Second Timothy. This is the, obviously, the second letter that Paul wrote to Timothy. Paul wrote uh, a lot of the New Testament, most of the letters here. They're in order in the Bible from length. So it's not necessarily they're in order from date or anything like that. The longest Romans, and it goes down to Philemon. If you believe Hebrews is Pauline, then it should probably go earlier in the Bible. But anyway, uh, so we're at 2 Timothy. Uh, and as you see on, on the graphic behind us, uh, you can see a bunch of Greek letters, and you're like, well, I don't really know what that means, but that's okay. You have it in English as well. So those, those words right there are actually 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. And in 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, we, we kind of, as we we're studying it, we said 2 Timothy 2.2 2 really kind of captures what, what we think the whole book of 2 Timothy is about, which is, um, and I'll read it to you. It, Paul is telling Timothy, and what you have heard from me, 
I, Paul, in the presence of many witnesses, I want you, Timothy, to now take that, which is the gospel, I want you to entrust it to men who will also be able to teach others. So you can see many generations, if you will, of people coming to Christ, people hearing the gospel, receiving the gospel, and then actually going and taking that gospel that they've been entrusted with and going and share it with more, which is the same for all of us. We've all been entrusted with the gospel, and it doesn't just come and kind of hit a a cul-de-sac with us. Instead, we want the gospel to come and then be a conduit. We want to be a conduit so the gospel can go through us and we can then entrust it to more people who will then go and trust it to more people who will then go. And that, that's the whole idea of what we're talking about. We've been entrusted with this gospel, this word. And so we need to be um, stewards of it well and go and trust it to others. And so that's kind of the, the idea of what's going on. We'll see next week as we get into the last section that Paul knows that he's about to die. So this is Paul writing from kind of his, his last will and testament, if you will, telling Timothy, I know that I'm going to die soon, and these, these last words I'm pinning to you are very important. And so, because you've been entrusted with the gospel, we want you to go and, and tell others. We want you to go and tell others that will tell others. So, <clears throat> as we're going into this little section here, we're going to be at chapter 3, starting at verse 14, and we're going to go down to 4-4. When, when Paul wrote this, he didn't, you know, as he finished chapter 3, verse 17, good work, period, write a big 4, you know, in the, in the text, and so, number 1, and keep going. These chapter divisions weren't there, and so I really believe 3, 14 through 17 just goes straight into 4, 1 through 4. So here's what's, here's what's my challenge. Let me, let me let you know my challenge, and then I'll kind of give you the main part of the text. My challenge today is if, if you've been with us at all, if you've been at Remedy or if, if you've um, been Remedy just for a short time, but you picked us because of some certain things, like Jordan said, we pick a book of the Bible and we just go through the Bible, a lot of the things you're going to hear me say today, you absolutely agree with. And it might be why you come here. It might be, I like them because they like the Bible. And everybody likes the Bible. But we, they pick books of the Bible. And, and what they try to do is just go through the book of the Bible and just teach the Bible verse by verse so that I can understand the Bible. So here's my challenge is, how do I preach a, te- a sermon, a text, on things that you all likely agree with me on? Like, the Bible's awesome. We got that. Okay, what, what, you know, let's go watch the Panthers game. Like, so what, my goal or challenge today is to preach a sermon about the Bible, which you already all agree the Bible is awesome, in such a way that not, we don't only just hear information and say, yes, I agree with that, but instead we also go and say, now my life has to be changed because of it. Well, the good news is this. Um, the first three verses, or really the chapter 3 section, 14 through 17, is, is my first little section. And, and there's a charge in both of them, but that section tells us a lot of things about the Bible. So if, if you're not quite there on full agreement about all the things that the Bible can do, that first section in, in chapter 3, 14 through 17, will be for you. Uh, but most of you likely agree with that. You, you can read it straightforward. It's pretty ex- explanatory of what the Bible does. But then after that, for those of us that all say, yes, the Bible's God's word and it does literally everything. I'm totally dependent upon the word. That next section in four, one through five, is going to be a little bit more of an encouragement challenge for you that says, I already agree with all that. Now, I want to go live it out. I want to go have a life change by the word. So that, that second section will be the section where we'll say, here's a little bit more application based on what we just learned in chapter 3. So I only have two things today. I basically just told you what they are. Uh, so what I want to do is, is go through this particular set of text, and we can see, hopefully, some things that will pop out. And, and my prayer has been 
that we would not just hear these things and say, yeah, I agree with all that. That was good. But instead, um, that we would be changed by it. We would want to live a life dominated by a desire to be in this word every day. So 314, if you remember last week, um, especially in verses 1 through 9, Paul is kind of delineating out all the kind of the threats of people. They'll be in the church, they'll be outside the church, there'll be all kinds of people that will oppose him and all kinds of people that will oppose the church and try to drag them out away from the faith. We don't have time to go through 3 through 9. You can, you can see that last week, but there's lots of bad descriptions about them. And at 14, uh, Paul kind of takes this turn and says, okay, Timothy, you've got all those kinds of people that are wanting to dra- drag you out, but here's a direct command for you. And it says in 14, but as for you, continue in what you've learned. Um, And having firmly believed, knowing from whom you've learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. This is the scriptures. He means the Old Testament, but we're including the New Testament in that. Um, I'll get to that in a second. Which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God. Literally, God breathed and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may competent, equipped for every good work. So there's going to be two charges that we're going to give you regarding the word, two kind of charges. And there's the first charge. He says it right there in verse 14. But as for you, and he tells him, continue. So he's charging him. Uh, continue in the faith uh, and what you firmly believe. So charge number one from Paul, thereby charge number one for every one of you. I, I know that this is a... a, a a pastoral letter, a pastoral epistle. So you say, well, this is really just Paul telling pastors they need to do this. But it's absolutely applicable for every single Christian. So this isn't just for those that that labor in teaching of the word, elder pastors. This is for every one of you. You need to all, um, charge number one, continue in learning and living God's word. So uh, we have the two L's there with importance because the goal is not just for you to learn the Bible. The goal is for you to live the Bible. Continue learning and living God's word. That's the first charge. So let's, let's take some of those um, in verses 14 through 17 and see some of the details of the text. First, he says, but as for you, as I said, in light of the evil men in verses 1 through 9, Paul turns the conversation right back to him and says, Timothy, this is not just about you know, those guys. I want to talk to you directly and say your life, even as a pastor at Ephesus, You're already a pastor, and he tells him, anyway, exhorts a pastor. How much more so if Paul's exhorting, you know, his spiritual son, should should we be exhorted to continue in the faith? You would consider that Timothy would probably already be, I mean, he was Paul's protege. Paul's like crazy, right? So, So when it comes to Timothy, and he's exhorting Timothy, then I hear that, and I'm like, well, then I really, really need to hear this exhortation to continue on what I've learned, continue what I firmly believed. And then he says, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. From childhood. So he's, he's telling him to be a lifelong learner. And then he tells him how from childhood. Now, in this idea of continuing in what you've learned, to have a, a deep desire to never grow weary, to push yourself to be a relentless, I mean, relentless man or woman of the word. Relentless is what he's telling him. Let, let, me, let me read one little quote from Spurgeon because he's just got an amazing way with words. A little, little lengthy, but y'all are awesome, so y'all can handle this. Y'all can handle this. This is what Spurgeon says regarding being a relentless man or woman of the word. He says, 
Oh, that you and I might get into the very heart of the word of God and get that word into ourselves. As I have seen the silkworm eat into the leaf and consume it, so ought we to do with the word of God. Not crawl over its surface, but eat right into it until we have taken it into our inmost parts. It's, it is idle merely to just get an eye glance of the words or try to just recollect poetic expressions or historic facts. But it is blessed then to eat the very soul of the Bible until at last you come back to talk into scriptural language and your very style is fashioned upon scriptural models. And what is better still is that your spirit is flavored with the words of God's. Have your very soul where this is true. Why this woman or this man, people would say, is a living Bible. Prick him or her anywhere and he, his bud is bibbling. That's just, his blood is like literally the Bible. He says the very essence of the Bible flows from him. I love this last. He cannot speak without quoting a text for his very soul is full of the word of God. I mean, that's, that makes me want to say I want to be a relentless man or woman. I'm not, you know what I mean? Like a relentless person in the word, like I read that, I'm just like, yes, Spurgeon. I love the way the Spirit speaks through you and makes me say, every day I just want to prick me and I want to bleed Bible. That makes me just say, I mean, my goodness, what am I doing with my life? What am I doing with my life if that's not the case? This is the kind of man or woman God is exhorting me to be. Continue, continue in the Word, continue in what I've learned. Not only from that, he tells us to even remember, he tells Timothy, remember that this is something that you've been acquainted with with childhood um, parents. No, this is kind of a little side note for 15, but notice, notice the blessing it is for children to be acquainted with and know the scriptures from a young age. That's, that's a blessing. It, a lot of times as we get older, you know, we're in college and everybody has these radical conversions to Christ. You know, they were hell's angels and you know having tats all over them and, and motorcycles and you know wherever you saw them they're always like stabbing people or whatever and all of a sudden at 19 they're like jesus changed everything we hear that te- like that that testimony we're like oh man you've got a testimony I, you know I, I grew up in the church and got saved at vbs and didn't do anything bad and you know, so I don't really have a testimony. And like, no, 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 that's, that's horrible thinking. I, I want all my kids from, from age, you know, birth to be acquainted with the scriptures and never have that, that crazy testimony. Like, wow, you must really love Jesus. He saved you from a lot. I, uh, I stole the kid's lollipop once when I was eight and I felt really bad. So I didn't want to go to hell. So, you know, like we don't want to ever just think that kind of conversion is no big deal, right? Every conversion is a transfer from death to life. So no matter what age you get saved. So notice the, the blessings of childhood to be raised from a, a, a young age to be acquainted with the sacred writings at childhood. So parents, let that be a, a great challenge for you to, to continue to pour the Bible into your children every single day. I mean, even when they're rowdy and they're running around and it doesn't seem they're listening. They really are. We know they are. Like they, you stop them and say, Wait, tell me everything I said. And then they just list it all out. And like, you were listening. Okay, awesome. Um, back to 16 here. Um, and he... What he's going to do here in verses 15 through 17, how I want to kind of break it out as we're looking at this, this charge about the word and the exhortation to be a man or woman of the word. There's a couple of things I want you to see in this word section. First, we're going to see the nature of the scriptures, and then we'll see the sufficiency of the scriptures. They're, they're kind of different. The nature of the scriptures or the essence of the scriptures or, or the way Paul is describing the whole of the Bible here kind of has three little categories. We're, we're all under number one still. Um, the nature of the scriptures. You can see in verse 15 
how you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Now, remember, he's talking about the Old Testament here. Talking about the Old Testament. We all would say yes and amen to that on the New Testament. I mean, Jesus is all over the New Testament, but not the Old Testament. Wait, Paul's saying Jesus, faith in Jesus, making me wise for salvation through faith in Jesus is in the Old Testament. And I think we can all agree that he's all over the New Testament, right? So what we're seeing here is the entire Bible is Christ-centered. The entire Bible is Christ-centered. So one of the essences or natures of the scriptures is that they are thoroughly Christ-centered. Tony Morita says the Old Testament anticipates Christ. The New Testament explains Christ. So they're all about Jesus. So one of the things you need to know about the scriptures is they are thoroughly about Christ. They are Christ-centered, Old and New Testament. Another thing that you need to know or the nature of the text is this. Not only are they thoroughly Christ-centered, but 16, all scripture is breathed out by God. So they're literally God-breathed. God breathed them out as, as men wrote, as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit, 2 Peter 1.21. So these scriptures are literally breathed out. It's not like they went into some kind of trance and they're like a robot and, and they're just writing God's words and after they finish, like, I don't even know what I wrote. God did it. And they had their own personalities. If you, if you read through there, you can see that some people are really educated and some people aren't. They had their own personalities. But as they wrote, they wrote scripture. They wrote God's words. God breathed out, theonoustos, God breathed. This is, this is God-breathed scriptures. So that's the second distinction. Um, I don't have time to go through the entire divine inspiration of the entire Bible um, because Jack's already preached that sermon. So, so go one year ago in our doctrine series, the doctrine of the word, it was the very first sermon of doctrine, and you can just hear the entire kind of unpacking and, and what we believe in regard to the doctrine of uh, inspiration of the Bible. Jack does it all right there. One year ago, it's on iTunes. Um, so we see a couple things about the nature. First, they're Christ-centered. Second, they're God-breathed. And lastly, look at all these things. Uh, and I'm just going to kind of, as we read all these things, say they're totally sufficient. They're totally sufficient. Look at this. They're breathed out by God, and here the, here's, what they, here's what they do. Here's what they're sufficient for. And this, that's my second section. But number three, uh, they're totally sufficient is... They're profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. The scriptures are completely Christ-centered and they're God-breathed, but they're totally sufficient. All those things that the scriptures will do, that's, that's all of life. There's not, a, there's not a section or fraction or piece of your life that the scriptures will not identify and address. Maybe not directly, maybe not... The Bible doesn't say thou shalt not have Netflix. So it's not totally sufficient whether I'm supposed to have that or not. Okay, I, I see what you're saying. But the Bible lays out major principles on every single thing there is in these 21st century day kind of, kind of conundrums, if you will. But they're totally sufficient. It does. It's profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training for righteousness so that the man of God will be completely competent. Not only competent, but also equipped for every good work you have to do. They're totally sufficient. So that's my second section. That was the nature. And this is what I mean by sufficiency of the scriptures. This, this is what the scriptures do. This is what the scriptures do. And that's just that little section right there still in verse 16, 17. The first is that it makes you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. If you have a friend, if you have a, a, a roommate or, or a family member that does not know the Lord and that you want to be saved, then the Bible is the 
the best tool that you have. Because the Bible is the thing that makes people wise for salvation. How do I tell them how to be saved? I can't even describe it very well. Bring your Bible and trust the Spirit. And you just, you find verses that talk about salvation. You can go to Ephesians 2. You can go to all kinds of places. If you just pull out the whole handy-dandy John 3.16. I mean, you just go with that and go line by line. It, the Bible makes people wise for salvation. It's, it's, it's going to, as they read it, help them understand what salvation through faith in Jesus Christ and Him alone, um, how it helps them understand what salvation is. But it's also, look, profitable for teaching. So another piece of the sufficiency or what the Scriptures do is they teach us. Um, it would be... It would be pointless for me to come up here and teach on, on things if I didn't have a Bible. I mean, what, I would have nothing to say. Or I would be wasting your time if I'm just giving you a bunch of things that I think. I don't have a whole lot, actually. I have very little things that I can just extemporaneously pull off and try to teach you about life. Instead, if you have this, well, that's everything. Because then I'm out of the way, and God takes his God-breathed scriptures and pours it into my life and all of us as we as sit under it. So it's profitable for teaching. But as we're taught, it's going to do a couple things. And, and these things sting. This third little piece, it stings sometimes. It's profitable for reproof and correction. Reproof and correction. Now, if, if you're like me, and maybe you're not, I'm not a big fan of being reproved and corrected. You know, when, when Christy, my wife, points out things, my first thought is, oh, okay. Well, it's my turn then. You listed a couple things. Maybe, I, maybe it's my turn. Let, let me tell you, so obviously, when it's time for being reproved or corrected, um, none of us are fans of it. However, if, if you love someone, if you love someone dearly, and they, walk, they claim to know Christ, and you're going to go to them out of love, and you're going to say, this I see in your life, um, I, would, I would absolutely advise you to bring your Bible. Pray before and pray after. But if you come and you bring your Bible and you say, I love you, this is what I see in your life, and here, here the Bible addresses it right here. And you read them the text, and you trust the Spirit. The Bible, I mean, the Word of God is the thing that reproves and corrects. Not you. You're, you're not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, coupled with His Word, He does the work. And then you're just, I love you. I'm, I'm just reading the Bible. Don't you have to get mad at me. I love you. That's why I came to you. Let the Bible do the reproof and correction. And what I've noticed is, as the Bible reproves, corrects, convicts, if you will, the Holy Spirit has this awesome thing called comfort. He comes, and then for those that, that realize it, after they've been convicted and they repent, there's this great comfort knowing the gospel is so big that I've been forgiven of all my sins, and even this one right now that I've repented of. So the sufficiency of the scriptures is that there's a great promise that it reproves and corrects. And, and not only that, it trains you for righteousness. It trains you to be holy. How do I know what Jesus wants? How do I know if that's a sin or not? How do I know if I'm supposed to do these things? The Bible, it shows me what his expectations are for holiness. And not only he gives me a spirit, it leads me through the gospel. It, it, the law is not something that I have to live under anymore like Kill me, law, and I'm, I'm, I can't do it. Instead, Christ has fulfilled the law, but it still is a marker. It still is a marker that as we walk forward, and empowered by the Holy Spirit walking forth, um, the, the Holy Spirit uses that law to inform us of these are principles. These are still things that I can know. It, the most ideal thing is you, if you were as absolutely filled with the Holy Spirit as you could, then you would never even have to look at the law, right? You just live under it. But that's not our experience, is it? Not until heaven. 
So it trains us to be holy. It shows us what God wants us, and it trains us in righteousness. And then it, this last thing that the Scriptures does, this is, this is awesome, that the man of God may be competent and equipped. Um, this, the word in there, it, it basically is saying that you're super equipped, like, like, a, like a superhero. You know, I just watched Captain America this weekend. Um, I finished all my schoolwork, and so I've been like, Christy, let's watch a movie. Like, I hadn't got to do that forever. And so we watched Captain America, and he's, you know, he's throwing his little shield everywhere. And I'm just thinking, man, this guy's awesome. He's, he's like a, he is a superhero. You know, he, he's fighting that big steel arm left hand guy. And he's, as he's fighting him, I'm just thinking, this is awesome. He's like a superhero. This is amazing. Well, the Bible here carries that same idea. So, you know, fill in your blank on who your favorite is, Spider-Man, Superman, Captain, mine's Captain America, at least for this weekend, because he was awesome. So, like, fill in who it is. But this is saying, and I want to be careful here, this means that by the word, because of the word and by the word and through the word, because of it, not, not because you're, you just think you're awesome. You may be awesome, but not, not Jesus awesome, right? So by the word, you are, when it comes to good works, super equipped like a superhero, not over Jesus. You're not more important than him. You're not more special than him. You're not, you don't have it more than him. But, but for the good works that are already set out before you, as Ephesians 2.10 says, you are literally... The, the force of this word is trying to say that you're super equipped now, like a superhero, to do those good works. If, I need to hear that because I always feel like good works, man, I can barely get out and cut the grass every couple of weeks. So, like, I don't feel competent or equipped to do anything when it comes to good works. And the Bible is saying what's true of you is that you are literally super equipped like a, like a superhero to do these good works that are set out before you. Not only are they kind of out there as one day maybe you'll get to them when, when, when maybe you're strong enough that day. Right now, you're super equipped to complete the good works in front of you by the word, through the word, because of Christ. I mean, that's, that's really good news. I need to hear that. Stott says that, um, well, let me read what John Piper write, writes. This is, this is amazing. How does the scriptures, how do the scriptures equip us for every good work now that we're super equipped? He says, how the scripture equips us for every good work, the scripture, day after day, reveals to us the greatness and the beauty and the power and the wisdom. He, he, likes, he likes to use a lot of descriptive words. Um, the, reveals to us the greatness and the beauty and the power and the wisdom and the mercy of all that God is for us in Christ so that by the power of the Spirit, we find our deepest joy in Him. And the waves of sin now become distasteful, indeed ugly and repugnant. Yes, the Bible gives us many specific pointers as how to live, but most deeply, the way the Bible equips us for every good work is, this is so good, oh, this is so good, by changing what we find satisfaction in so that our obedience comes from within freely. You're not, he's not changing into a robot. These are real decisions. But as he does that, he is changing what you literally find your satisfaction in. Before, or even at conversion, you found your satisfaction in gutter kind of sins. Now, by the process of sanctification, which I'll agree is a process and it seems to be long, he's changing what you find your satisfaction in to be, namely, joy in Christ, deep, indelible, satisfying joy in Christ, so that our obedience now comes from within us freely, not by coercion from without. It does this as we read and meditate on and memorize and meditate the, over the Bible 
every single day. So the, the superpower, super competent, super equipped power comes from as we are in the scriptures every day. He uses our free decision to say, I'm going to be in the scriptures today. And as he does that, he changes from within our heart, free decisions to say, yes, all I want to do now is find my deepest satisfactions in Christ, no longer in temporal worldly pleasures. I love the world. I want them to see Christ. But my deepest satisfaction now is in Christ. And day by day as that grows, you are more and more equipped to walk out these good works before you. That's incredible. So as we hear this charge that says, now continue in learning and living God's word, we hear that kind of, in that, and you're like, man, that's, that's so big and daunting. I don't know if I can do that. But you can, day by day, being in the word, trusting in the power of a word that it's going to do all these things. It's going to, day by day, it's going to approve you and correct you and train you in righteousness. And day by day, it's going to show you how it's trustworthy because it's Christ-centered and breathed out by God. And you will be equipped for every single good work. So those, those are the things about the Bible in that first section, which likely every one of you agree with. Likely, if you've been here a while. So this next section then is going to, going to turn for us and he's going to give you another charge. He gave us that first charge to continue in the word. Now here comes the second charge. And he literally uses the word charge. So um, I, I know that that's what he's doing. <laughs> Verse one, I charge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus who is to judge the living and the dead by his appearing in his kingdom. All right, so that's all the kind of precursor stuff. I charge you. If you want to know what the charge is, you can just go straight to the first three words of of verse two. I charge you, preach the word. I charge you to preach the word. It's in the presence of God in Christ, which is no small sentence. We'll talk about that in a second. Who is to judge the living and the dead. Again, a no small sentence at all. And by his appearing of of his kingdom, to preach the word. Now, when you hear that, you're, you're, you're thinking, okay, this is, a, this is a pastoral epistle. So, of course, Timothy has to preach the Bible. He tells him to preach the Bible. That doesn't apply to me. I, I, I'm not ever going to be a preacher, Fud. Okay. Um, you might not. But this is, again, no less still an application directly to you. So when I say preach the word, uh, we're, we'll talk about what all that means for you and how it, how it plays out in your life. But let's read the second charge. It'll be on the screen. The second charge then is to preach and teach the gospel and word. And what we mean is by by the gospel, Christ's death, um, burial, and resurrection, his atoning work. We need to preach that message, that good news. And we do it by preaching the word faithfully. As faithfully as we can. Day by day. So... Let's, let's look at this in verses 1 through 5. Let's, let's read it first. I charge you in the presence of God in Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Here's the reason why. Verses 3 and 4. For the time is coming when people not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Back to verse 5. And as, but as for you, Timothy, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. So we hear our second charge 
is based on the fact, as we hear that first charge, to continue in the word, learning and living the word. Now we need to preach that word. We need to teach that word. As we live in it, we never, ever should find ourselves saying, I'm living and learning, I'm growing in the word, I'm becoming more Christ-like, and it's just for me. Like, that's not, that's not ever the idea. Verses 1 through 5 says now, and verses 2 Timothy 2, 2, now I need to go and trust it. Now I need to go to proclaim it. Now people, other people need to hear this. It's never just meant to say, it's all just for me and that's it. Instead, it's to be proclaimed. Preach and teach the gospel and word faithfully. So it says, I charge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus. There, there's a definite solemnity. Sol- oh, I can't, this is the word, hardest word. Sol- I shouldn't have written that. I should have tried something else. Solemnity. Like, there's a solemnness. Is that a word? There's a solemnness, a solemnity about this. Like, this is a serious matter. Because I am in the presence of God in Christ Jesus, which is a lot of comfort. Um, we are to live our lives constantly reminding ourselves that the environment that surrounds us always, thankfully, as a Christian, is that we are literally in the presence of God in Christ Jesus. So when it's time to talk about Jesus with people, he's here. Praise God he's here, because I'm about to talk about him, and he's certainly going to give me a whole lot of help. But in the moments where I don't want to talk, he's here. He's going to know that I didn't. Or in the moments where I'm being tempted towards sin, he's here. He's always here. So I'm always in the presence. This is a, a, a solemn verse reminding us that we, praise God, have him with us all the time. And it's beckoning, it's beckoning us. It's pleading with us then, because that's the case, case. Be faithful. He's always with us, praise God. So be faithful in all these opportunities you have. In the presence of God in Christ Jesus, who will, here it is, judge the living and the dead. That's everyone. This is a good motivation, I think, to preach the gospel to people. A good motivation is that one day, Christ is going to judge everyone. Everyone will be judged. And so, your dearly loved ones, along with me and you, will be judged one day. This is a huge motivator to say, well, then I need to, as much as I can, with my superhero status of competency and and being equipped, proclaim this gospel to them and trust the Holy Spirit to use me. So we're exhorted here to preach the word. This is herald. We we have the Rock Hill Herald over here. And and it's an awesome word that we, our our newspaper is named the Herald, although probably like 20% of you subscribe to it. Um, It seems like they're always calling me, don't you want to get the Herald? I just go online and it's free. Um, Anyway, so (laughs) this word herald, this is messenger. This is announcer. This is proclaimer. Remember like a long time ago, the the town crier, you know, holding up the newspaper. Come get your newspaper. Got good news. It's like that idea. It's like, I've got an announcement. I'm the proclaimer. I'm the announcer. I'm the heralder. I'm the one that's telling everybody about the good news. So this is the idea is herald this news. Herald it out. Proclaim it out to everyone you can. And we're telling it literally, as it says in the verse before us, to all that will be judged, the living and the dead. Everyone here needs to hear this. What do we need to do? We need to preach the word. Preach, we're the heralds of the word. We're not heralds of be better. We're not heralds of, in this society, of moral issues. Although we do address those. But our primary is the gospel. They will never, ever agree with our stance on abortion or any other moral issue you want to fill in unless we herald the good news first. 
Maybe they will, but let's herald the good news and let the Holy Spirit so indwell their minds and hearts that the way that we think about the Lord has patterned the way uh, regarding marriage or abortion or whatever, the Holy Spirit's going to convince them a whole lot better than you and I are. So let's herald the good news first and the other. I'm not saying those things don't have a place. Herald the good news. This is what Luther said regarding preaching the word. I simply, Luther was a, a reformer 500 years ago from the Great Reformation. He says, I simply taught, preached, wrote God's, not wrote, but uh, that was a typo. I simply taught and preached the written God's word. Otherwise, I did nothing. I did nothing. The word did it all. I did nothing. I left it to the word. When distress comes, spread the word and let it do the work. I did nothing. Preach the word, literally. You, you may think it's just, you know, some, some little book that I have and it's, you know, I, 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 it doesn't maybe carry a whole lot of weight. There's so much more weight to these words because they're God-breathed than possibly you can imagine. Preach the word. You can trust this, this book. It's not like any other book at all. God speaks to us when we read this. When you read your favorite novel, God's probably not speaking unless it's bad. He's like, don't read that. But otherwise, like, it's not literally God speaking to you. But this book, unlike any other book, God's literally speaking to you as you read it. That's, that's amazingly powerful. And he tells him to preach the word. Stott says, John Stott, he says, regarding the word, regarding teaching and preaching the word, he says that you need to do it in these certain ways. He said you need to do it with urgency. Do it right now. Preach urgent, urgently. Like this is, this is the day I need to tell you. There's a, there's a Puritan pastor named Richard Baxter. He says this is how our urgency should shape us as we preach the word. Men will not cast away their dearest pleasures with a drowsy request of proclaiming the gospel where you don't even seem to mean what you say or even care whether your request to trust Christ will be answered. I want to read that again to make sure you hear it. Men will not cast away their dearest sinful pleasures with a drowsy request where where you don't even seem to mean what you say or even care whether your request to trust Christ will be answered. Therefore, you need to do it with urgency if it's like, you can trust Christ. I mean, it'll forgive you, take you to heaven, hell forever, whatever you want. It's your decision. Like that, he's saying, don't give some kind of drowsy request that way. I mean, this is life or death forever. So therefore, preach with urgency. Stott also says, preach with relevancy. The Bible is absolutely relevant. It's going to address everything. The Bible is not irrelevant. It's, it's relevant. Some will be doubters, and therefore, the most relevant thing that you can do is preach truth. Some are sinful, and so the, the most relevant thing that you can do is give the rebuke and do that, do that very w- wisely. Some will have a life full of fear and doubt, and they need encouragement. God's Word does all those things and vastly more. The Bible is absolutely relevant today. He also says to do it with patience. Patience is not the opposite of urgent. Do it with urgency. Now patience. So I can be a little... Patient, not urgent. No, that's not saying that. So it's not the opposite of urgent. It means, with patient means, don't pressure them. Trust the Spirit. Continue to endure with people. Our responsibility is to be as faithful as we can with them. I'm going to be patient. I'm going to be urgent, but I'm also going to be patient with you. Meaning, it's not just a one-stop shop and I'm done. You heard it. That's it. Good luck with it. It's, I'm going to endure. Because generally, generally, most people don't, don't convert right away. 
Generally, it takes us being a faithful herald over a period of time. He also, Stott says, to do it with intelligence. Do it with wisdom. Do a balance of preaching and teaching, which we'll see here in a second. Also, it says, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. It's easy to preach when it's convenient. So he's not saying, hey, what I want you to do is preach when it's convenient, preach when you have time, preach when they really want to hear it, and preach when they're finally receptive. But other than that, you're off the hook. It's not at all what he says. But if I'm guessing, if I'm guessing, that's how you share the gospel. If I'm guessing. You share the gospel when it's convenient today, when I have the time, when I really feel like they want to hear it now, and when they're finally receptive. But instead, we're to be, and that's the fun times to do it, right? Preach the gospel, preach the word in season and out of season. Not in some kind of negative, all up in your face, now you hate Jesus and you hate me kind of way. That's not what out of season means. It doesn't mean to put them off. It just means as societal pressures and and sinful pleasures grow, we're more and more out of season. But we still have to be faithful. Preach the word because we need to do it consistently. Consistently, Remember as Chris preached over in chapter 2, verse 4, 5, and 6, we're the soldier, we're the athlete, and we're the hardworking farmer. This isn't a hobby for us. This is our life. We're consistent every day. It's not a garden where like I'm a gardener. You know, I'm going to do this and maybe water it every once in a while. It's a hobby. That's not it. We're the farmer. This is my life. If I don't do this, then I will die. I will have no food. I'm an athlete. I'm out there and I'm, I'm going to win today. I'm the soldier, which means if, if I don't get involved, we're going to lose the battle. So the, the consistently, it, it's very important. We are consistent because we're the athlete, the soldier, and the farmer. Preaching the word isn't a hobby for us. It's our life or else we're going to lose the battle. So we have to do it absolutely consistently. We have to do it pastorally. Look what it says here. We have to do it with patience. Do it in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. All this is telling us that we need to do it in a very pastoral way. All these things are done in the context of the word being preached, not with opinion. He's saying preach the word. As you reprove and rebuke and exhort and complete with complete patience, you do it with teaching. You're not doing that with your opinions. You're not doing that with your thoughts. You're doing it with, as it goes up to verse 2, preach the word. So everything I say is going to be word-centered, but not only word-centered, it's going to be Christ-centered. All reprove, all rebuke, all exhortation must point them to the gospel, not to behavior modification. We're not pointing them to stop doing those bad things. I mean, yes, but because of Christ, trust the gospel. Trust that he took your penalty on the cross for you. And in light of that, now reprove, rebuke. So we point them to the gospel. We don't want them just to become um, changed morally. This, this, is, this is the dominant, it seems. There was a guy named Christian Smith. He wrote a book called Soul Searchers in 2005. In 2005, he he followed some youth for a long time, and he said the dominant view of, of the youth of today, and, he, and he, in an interview I heard him say once, and probably the adults, is the way that they view God is that he's a moralistic, therape- that the children now are moralistic, therapeutic deism. That's their, that's their view. They're moralistic. God just wants you to be good and bad. That's all he cares about. Therapeutic, the, God is going to help me like as a counselor, therapy. When I have problems, he addresses my problems, and that's what he does. Deism. Deism is the idea that God's way far off but not intimately involved in my life. 
So their view of God is, he wants me to be good, that's what he cares about. I go to God whenever I need therapy, and he's way far off. That's not what we're addressing him with. We're addressing him with the gospel, intimate, deep knowledge of our creator that loves us more than we can ever imagine. And it's concerned that we trust the gospel and love Christ. And then our behavior follows. So we, when we reprove or rebuke, we, we, we're word-centered, but we're also Christ-centered. And this is all done with the gospel. We do it with patience. As I said, it's not just one sermon or one conversation, usually, that changes people. Sanctification is a process. So it's the, this is awesome. It's the cumulative effect of all your preaching and all your conversations that you have with them over a time that's probably going to bear the fruit. It's the cumulative effect. Don't discount the little things that you're doing along the way because the cumulative effect of all that is very powerful. And theology is important. And he tells us in verses 3 and 4, for the time is coming. This is the caution Paul points to in the future. He says, this day is going to come. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And they will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. So there's a huge caution. Stott puts it pretty succinctly. He says, people won't bear with the truth. That's the caution. There's going to come a day where people will not bear with the truth. So you can fill in the blank with what you think that looks like. I think it's pretty accurate. You know, health and wealth, all these prosperity gospels. There's, there's times where people are accumulating. Don't confront my... Basically, the essence is, don't confront my sin. Just help me with a better, my life right now. Make me feel good. Those are the kind of people I want to listen to. Make me feel good all the time. Don't ever point out anything wrong with me. Don't talk about blood. Don't talk about the cross. That's kind of icky. Makes me feel gross. I just want to hear positive things all the time. Well, there's, there's wisdom in that maybe. I mean, sure. We should have some positive things to say. If all we do as preachers and all you do as a proclaimer is just take your Bible club and beat them over the head all the time, this doesn't feel great, right? So there's balance but we have to, address, have to address sin. It literally, it's the same message as it says in 2 Corinthians chapters 1, 2, I think it's 2. It's the same message. And for those that are being saved, it's the aroma of life. It's not a different message. It's not like we're giving those guys roses and we're giving these other people poop. We're giving them the same message. This is the aroma of life and this is, that's the aroma of death. That smells terrible. But it's the same message. You're giving them the same thing. So that's the caution. People don't want to hear the word. But the answer, as he tells them in verse 5, is, but you always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of the evangelist and fulfill your ministry. Don't retreat away when that's all people want to hear in verses 3 and 4. Instead, that's what we would think. Well, they don't want to hear me anymore, so I'm not going to be heard anymore. I should go do something else. Instead, Paul says, this is the time where you do speak. You do. You're sober-minded. And he tells him these three things. Endure in your suffering. Work as the evangelist and fulfill the ministry. You've got to do this. Endure. Continually enduring. Not only enduring, work. This isn't... This isn't necessarily easy. Some, pe- some people do have an easier lot as Christians in their life. But it is work. It's work. It's, just, I think, I mean, the hardest job I've ever seen now that I'm a dad um, is the stay-at-home mom. Like, 
if you ask any mom, how is it having, you know, five kids or, or four or three, or whatever? I mean, it doesn't matter. Once you have one, you don't sleep, ever sleep for like 18 years. Like, so you're thinking, how is that? It's so hard. That, that's my view, I think. It's, it's, it's work, and it's supposed to be work, but it's rewarding work. It's the best work, proclaiming the gospel. It's work. It's never, ever just supposed to be laissez-faire. Endure in suffering. Work as the evangelist, and as you do that, you will fulfill your ministry. You will fulfill the ministry. This is what we're called to. I want, I want to conclude this way um, with, with an excerpt from George Mueller who pushes us in the importance of being in the Word. George Mueller lived about 100 years ago in England. He was famous for his um, amazing care for orphans. And in his daily prayers, um, he was provided for in these orphanages always. Um, he, he didn't ask. He just said, if we ever have a need, I'm going to pray for it. And that's it. I'm not going to ask anybody. I'm just going to pray for it. And I'm going to see if God answers. And, and God, like, always did. It's a pretty amazing story. You should read up on Mueller. But when he was 59 years old, he gave this kind of uh, exhortation to his, to his people. This is what he said. We have, through the goodness of the Lord, been permitted to enter into another year. And the minds of many among us will no doubt be occupied with the plans for the future and all the various fears of our work and service for the Lord, which is not necessarily a wrong thing, but he says this, if our lives are spared and we shall be engaged in those things, the welfare of our families, the prosperity of our businesses and our work, the service for Christ may be considered most important matters to be attended to. But according to my judgment, the most important point to be attended to is this, above all things, see to it that your souls are happy in the Lord. That's pretty interesting. We put that off, don't we? We, do, we get about the work. But he says, above all these things, listen to how he goes on. This is amazing. Other things may press upon you. The Lord's work may even give you urgent claims upon your attention. But I deliberately repeat, it is of supreme and paramount importance that you should seek above all things to have your souls truly happy in God himself. Day by day, to seek and make this the most important business of your life. That, and this means through the word. It has been my firm and settled condition for the last five and 30 years. For the, first four ye- uh, for the first four years after my conversion, I knew not of its vast importance. But now, after much experience, I especially commend this point to take notice of my younger brethren and sisters in Christ. The secret of all true effectual service is joy in God, having ex- experimental acquaintance and fellowship with God himself. This is a 59-year-old saying, I used to live one way where all I did was want to do stuff, do stuff. And now that I'm older, and listen, 59-year-old people are amazing gifts. They're amazing gifts to us. He said, I've done what you've done. Listen to this sage. He says, the most important thing now that you can do, of paramount importance, is that above all things, every day, the first order of the day is to make your soul happy in Christ Jesus. He says, but in what way shall we attain to the settled happiness of our soul? How shall we learn to enjoy God in this way? How shall we obtain such an all-sufficient, soul-satisfying portion in him as shall enable me to go through the things of this world and um, go through the things of this world as uh, vain and worthless in comparison? And, And I answer, 
that this happiness is to be obtained in the study of the holy scriptures. God has therein revealed himself unto us in the face of Christ Jesus, in the scriptures, by the power of the Holy Ghost. That's my favorite way to say it, the Holy Ghost. Holy Ghost, he makes himself known to our souls. Therefore, the very earliest portions of the day we can command, we can command should be devoted in the meditation on the scriptures. Our souls should feed upon the word. This intimate experiential acquaintance with him will truly make us happy. Nothing else will. And God our Father and the blessed Jesus, our souls have a rich, divine, imperishable, eternal treasure. I want you to hear that again. And God our Father and our blessed Jesus, where can our souls find satisfaction only? Our souls have a rich, blessed, divine, imperishable, eternal treasure in Christ alone and Him only. Let us enter into practical possession then of these true riches. Yea, let the remaining days of our earthly pilgrimage be spent in an ever-increasing, devoted, earnest consecration of our souls to God. That's awesome. If there's ever something I read, I'm like, man, that's awesome. The most paramount importance every day is that I'm in the Bible at the earliest portions of my day before I start any of his work just to make my soul happy in Christ first. It's, it's the most important thing. So let me ask you a couple questions and then we'll close. How are you at pursuing Christ in his word? How are you doing? What needs to change for you now to learn and live God's word? How can you exalt and exult over the scriptures daily? How can you exalt, worship, and exult, rejoice? Because rejoicing, exulting, is exalting. It is worshiping. How can you every day exalt and exult over the scriptures every day? How can you rejoice and worship over the scriptures of what you see about Jesus Christ every day? Who are you heralding the news to faithfully? Who are you sharing the gospel with? Because this is life and death. You're the hardworking farmer. You're the soldier. You're the athlete. Share the gospel with everyone you know. But every day, make your soul happy in Christ, in his word. The word is such a gift from God. We're going to go into a time of response where we'll sing to Christ. We'll exult over his word. We'll have scripture readings between songs. Let those things be the power that they have in your life as you hear those promises of scripture. Don't just agree with me that the scriptures are God's word in our very life. But now go and live a life that reflects that and rejoices in Christ in them. You have some time here, so I just ask that you be obedient to the Spirit's leading. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for its power. We pray, God, that you would be with us now as we sing to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.